Shabbat Shalom, everybody. How are you guys? Doing well? Awesome. It is good to see your faces. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, that was very kind of you. I made me feel good. I'll, I'll have to admit, this week was a rough week for me, guys. Um, I can't necessarily pinpoint one specific thing. Um, but I, I do know that, like, there's just a heaviness all week long. Um, shouldn't be. Not necessarily. Like, there's not, like, one thing I can point to. Uh, I, I can't say, like, a, there was some sort of, like, demonic attack or some sort of, like, weird thing that was taking place there. But it, it was just a heaviness this week um, as a whole. And so... You know, here comes Shabbat, you end, you end the work week, you get into your spiritual time with the Lord, and you just wonder why. What, what was he trying to teach you? I haven't, I haven't gotten that answer yet this week. I don't know exactly what he was trying to teach me. Um, I'd like to say that I had some sort of revelation that somehow, like, I had some sort of, like, aha moment. I didn't. I just had the revelation of understanding it just was one of those weeks. It was one of those moments. Um, Week three. So once again, um, I was joking with Cam this week before the service. I was like, you know, the next, next time I preach, which isn't for, for a little bit of time, but the next time I preach, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to do a, a sermon series where I start off every week where it's like, I want you to stand with me and I want you to say, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And by golly, people love me. Because the last two weeks, it seems like it's been an intense set of topics we've gone into. It's been an intense kind of self-reflection in how the Lord is operating and how the adversary of the Lord is operating and what our responsibilities are. And this will be the last week of that series. Next week, Brent will be back. Um, it's the Saturday before Camp Yeshua. So for those of you who've been around for a while, we will have a, a decent amount of youth and their families in town with us. Um, then Ryan White will be with us, uh, guest and friend of ours from Minnesota. Um, this week, he called me and said, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm staying in town for a couple extra days. Would you be willing to allow me to speak? And I was like, sure. The day after Camp Yeshua is, is never the easiest for any of the spiritual leaders. We're normally tired. And sure, we'd love for you to speak at church. So Ryan will be here uh, still working on. There's a group called We the Remnant who are the worship leaders at a youth camp called Messiah, Texas in uh, Denton, um, hoping that they will be able to stay as well and lead the worship here. So once again, get, get a chance to introduce you guys into some people who Daniel Ephraim and I work with cooperatively in ministry around the region. Um, Please keep Lauren and Ephraim in your prayer today. Ephraim has been struggling with the cold all week. Um, and Lauren is speaking at our sister church, HFFDFW, down in the south. And so I'm not sure if, they, if Ephraim was feeling better today and he got a chance to go with her. But either way, they were doing me a solid because I double booked myself this Saturday. And I was supposed to be here and there. And... Uh, at the same point in time, my dad was in town for heart surgery and wasn't sure exactly when he was leaving. So I had got myself into quite a conundrum, and so they were willing to step in and fill in for me to at least remove one of the things uh, that I had overbooked. I had uh, got myself into a Stephen situation right there, Stephen, where there was more, more things on the calendar than I realized, so, uh, which is not something I normally do, but that was my week. So first two weeks, we looked at 
the first two enemies of a believer. The first week was the devil. And once again, we're not talking about the guy from the Looney Tunes cartoon who sits as the cartoon on your shoulder and he's like, yeah, be mean, be mean, with the angel on the other cartoon. No, we're talking about the guy who went toe-to-toe, face-to-face with our Messiah in the wilderness with the desire for him to turn his back and turn his actions against the calling that his father and the spirit of his father had called him to do. That's not anything to joke about. That's not anything to laugh about. You know, a lot of times we talk about our culture. That's been very popular recently to talk about our culture, to talk about our politics, to talk about our nationalism or our tribalism. Christianity really got kind of wrapped up in that over the last 8 to 12 years especially. Got really wrapped up in that. And so that's not the greatest threat to us. No, it's the adversary. The adversary is the greatest threat. It is not who's in the White House. It's not who's in the Senate or who the district attorney is or who the mayor is or who all those things are. No, it's the devil. The devil is the greatest adversary. Because like we've seen now through multiple election cycles, and most of you in this room, because the teen class has taken all the little ones away, most of you have gone through good presidents and bad presidents, good mayors, bad mayors, good police officers, bad police officers. You've seen both sides And yet the devil is still just bad. (laughs) The devil didn't retire and he was like, oh man, we voted in a new devil and his policies are way better. No, it's the same devil with the same policies. He still wants to kill you and destroy you. Same guy. Same guy. Second week was the flesh. You see, everything is a journey. Everything builds off each other. So the devil was created by God to help spiritually test us, to form us in a way to grow back to God. Now, the devil didn't like that. He wanted to take all authority, not just the delegated authority that was given to him. And so rather than testing, he began to tempt. We see this in the garden. We see this in the wilderness with Jesus. We see this over and over and over again. Well, Why would the devil want to use temptation if we didn't have a problem with our flesh? Oh, wait, we do have a problem with our flesh. Every one of us struggles with something in our flesh. And so we talked about a little bit about how there are certain things that were talked about in Christianity for years. Youth groups abstinence. There were certain things, certain topics, certain sins that we like to bullet point. But then there was other ones that we never wanted to talk about. The problem is, is that we all wrestle with something. The devil knows what we wrestle with and the devil wants to tempt us with what we wrestle with. So you can combat the devil But can you combat your flesh? You must combat both. Because ultimately, there's a third adversary. Oh, man, the trinity of all adversaries. The devil, our fleshly desires, and what the Bible calls the world. Today, I'm going to refer to it more as our culture. Because, again, God made the world, right? Genesis tells us that it was the spirit of God that hovered over the water. 
God created the world. So the world itself, whether it's triangular, flat, globe, whatever, that was created by God. So that can't be bad. So when it talks about, when the Bible talks about the world, that we're to be separate from the world while in the world, well, he's not putting down his creation, is he? No, of course not. What he's talking about is the culture that exists in the world. Some of you in this room have lived through multiple changes of culture. I just, for the first time ever, have experienced, not even technically experienced it yet, my daughter will attend Camp Yeshua for the first time ever this year. Now, I have pictures of her crawling on the ground. She was like two years old at Oak Ridge. But this year, my daughter is old enough to be a camper. So as she prepares for the theme nights and the decor and the dress and all the things that will happen, and she participates in those, I'm starting to see things that when I was not much older than her, that I would wear, which at that time was hard. Because around the age of 13 to 14, I was wearing a size 13 shoe. Well, it's not like it is today. And some of you in this room know this. I'm preaching to the choir. There was like one athletic store in your entire city. And if you could find a size 13 shoe in that place, you bought it because there was no other option. It wasn't like you went on Amazon and you're mad because you have to wait four days for it rather than two days. There was no other option. This was the shoe you bought because of the size and the limitations that you had. Well, there was the old pump shacks and starter jackets in the 80s and like the early 90s, the saved by the bell, the red pants, all those types of things. And now all of a sudden here I sit, my 13-year-old daughter is looking at buying the same type of stuff that I used to wear when I was that age. Now, some of you who are in your 50s, 60s, and 70s in this room, this isn't a shock for you. You've already experienced this multiple times. Because when I was in the 90s and I was walking around in my Abercrombie and Fitch flare jeans, you're like, welcome to the 60s, bro. They've been stockpiled in the back of a warehouse for the last 30 years. They were already bought and paid for 30 times. But we're going to charge you $90 for them, and you're going to pay for them. Why? Because the culture It's what's popular. It's what's considered to be a part of the clique. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how conservative or how liberal. I don't care how out off the grid or in the metroplex you are. Your life is influenced by culture. Sometimes your life is influenced by culture and you want to be the anti-culture. I actually believe, and I don't have any type of metrics for it, it's just a feeling. It's just gut. The older you get, it is your God-given right to be anti-culture. You don't care anymore. You've been there, you've done that, you got the heartache, you got the hurt, you got whatever. 
you got the scars to show from it. You've worn every single pair of clothing in whatever style that's ever come or gone. And you don't care anymore because what you've done is you've grown to a place of wisdom where you realize that the culture is really just nothing more than a, a hamster cycle a little wheel you're going to keep running on and sooner or later you're going to have to come to the realization that you are you and the best you doesn't revolve around the color pants or the style of pants or anything else those things exist to make you feel good about yourself so you can walk in the most boldness now that was a struggle for me I was 320 pounds in my junior year. I grew up always on the heavy side, always fought with my weight. I had glasses. I have really bad eyesight. One of the greatest gifts I was ever given is for my 18th birthday. My father sent me to one of the best LASIK surgeons in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I had LASIK surgery. I mean, I, I was the guy with the thick old glasses. Between my junior and my senior year, I finally had gotten to the point where I realized that no, no culture, no trend of clothing, sun in was the thing you did in the summer, like you put the little spray sun in your hair so you'd blonde it up a little bit. If you did it right, it was blonde. If you did it wrong, it was orange. But either way, it happened. But that never actually made me feel like I, I had arrived. There was no peace there because even though I went from one day wearing a Confederate flag with the Hank Williams Jr. thing on it, being a country boy with John Deere, all the way to wearing Abercrombie and Fitch, I was 320 pounds. And so I was using outward things from the culture to try to mask an issue that was actually an inward issue. Oh, wait, the flesh. And it wasn't until I took control over the addiction that I had to food and the coping mechanism I used with food wasn't until I took control over that and I broke that addiction that I really started to understand that it is possible to actually like yourself no matter what you wear. This week, my father was in town and he made a passive aggressive comment before I went to the office because the two days in a row, and Daniel and Cam will know this for sure, but the two days that he was here that I went to the office, I was in black athletic shorts, just plain Walmart athletic shorts. And one day I was in my Jesus, 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 and one day I think it was my King Yeshua, and I had my hat on backwards, my black Yeshua hat. Got up, hung out with my wife, drank coffee in the morning, did a little bit of work on my laptop, it's like, oh man, I'm supposed to be the office. Got up real quick, brushed my teeth, washed my face. One of the days I took a shower and literally basically put the same clothes on. For the most part, I only wear to work about four, four shirts total anyways. That would have never been the case. But my dad said, do you, get to, do you get to go to the office like that every day? Or do you ever dress up? I was like, no, I only dress up when I need to. He was like, oh, and I thought about that this week. And I thought about that this morning as I ironed my extremely bright clothes for today. And what I realized is that I no longer care what anybody else thinks about this. 
I absolutely do care about what you think about this and this and this. But so much of our life is based upon the flesh and the temptations that the culture is used to influence to focus on this while never addressing this, this, and this. You see, humans have a heart problem. Our little corner of Christianity has a head problem and a heart problem. We haven't figured out how to balance it yet. We're getting there. Nobody is perfect, so please don't take this as we need to be perfect. The Bible says that we should die daily. We looked at that last week. So every day until we die, last breath or God comes back, this should be a process. If we have ever arrived to a place where we feel like this, 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 or this is perfect, you're fooling yourself. You're, you're in cooperation with the wrong spirit. Whatever that spirit is, you're in, that's one you might want to talk back to. Like, peace, bro, out. Today, we're going to look at our culture. We're going to look at how we've gotten here. We're going to look at how to combat it. And we're going to wrap up this series. Because ultimately, when you walk back outside those doors, guys, that war is still waging. For some of you, that war is waging in here. One of the first things Daniel and Ephraim and I talked about when this church was established over six years ago was anytime you seek to step out and do hard things for the kingdom of God, anytime you decide that no longer am I I'm comfortable with whatever the status quo is, you best believe that the adversary is on notice and you're on the radar. Why? Because our culture right now will show you that there are over 3 billion people who profess Jesus as their Messiah. But if 3 billion people were actively engaged in the kingdom of God here, warring in the kingdom of God on this earth, you wouldn't see the homeless people who were ran out of the camp over by Crest this week. And this isn't political. I'm not running for office. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I think most of the people who run for office are idiots. It's a game. It's a game. But if the church, if the apprentices of Jesus were doing their job, when they start tearing down trees over by Crest, you wouldn't have an entire encampment of homeless people who are being scattered. Because the church would already be out there talking to them and trying to help them. Now, get, don't get me wrong, church. Don't get me wrong. I know that there are people in this church alone who work hard to try to help other people. And if people do not want to be helped, there's very little you can do. If somebody wants to set up a tent in a forest and never go get a job or do whatever, that's not on you. But if somebody is living in a tent because they've fallen on some hardship and they don't want to live that life anymore. The church was created, the body of Messiah was created to affect the culture of this world in a positive way. For some reason, over the years, the church got lazy and turned to the government to do it. 
There's not a single thing the United States government has done as a corporate body that has been good. They have fouled it up. I don't care liberals, Republicans, whatever. There's more red tape. There's more money than ever necessary. Why? Because ultimately God did not want Rome to take care of the problem. Jesus didn't petition to Caesar to solve the problems in Jerusalem because it was the churches. The church is you. The believers are you. It doesn't take Stephen and Leisha as the outreach coordinators for us to do good. It doesn't take Daniel and Melissa to organize something to do good. It doesn't take for something terrible to happen for us to rally around people. But that's what our culture is, even in the church right now. Until somebody's sick, until we know of a need, how many of us, even on social media, are like praying for you? Praying for you? Let alone how many of us actually pray? The power of God is being stifled on this earth, not because of God, because of the apprentices of God. And that's us. Mark chapter 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit, to gain, profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man be also ashamed when he comes in the glory of the father daily we have the option whether we're going to gain the world the culture and the influence in our life or we're going to die to ourselves and allow God to manifest through us this would be hard I think for Christians if we didn't all know, even the most entry-level believer knows that Jesus gave his life, had a horrible death, rose again, is in heaven and is coming back. That's as basic as they come. That's like the four-page Bible right there, the gospel. Most every Christian knows that. So Jesus gave his life to show us in a way that this could be done. Then what are we doing to give our own life for the kingdom of God? What are we doing to combat the culture around us? And guys, today, I want to make sure we understand, I, I specifically dressed this way last week and this week to prove a point. Because when you start talking about your flesh and you start talking about the culture, a lot of times in this corner of Christianity, we immediately think that we have to go like uber conservative. That we have to go to where like your ankles can't show and your shirts can't be tight and modesty is only a woman's issue, not a man's. And we, we, we take things and we go too far in conservative Christianity sometimes. And so specifically in talking about the topic of our culture and our world, I also wanted to give the subconscious thought of the fact that I don't look like a traditional messianic today. Ah, long hair. Yes, I got a beard. But that's just because I'm not sure if I want to shave it back off again or not. I'm in a transition. I'm in a crisis of belief in my own culture right now with my flesh. I'm wrestling. 
beard, no beard. Then I see Sykes with a mustache and I'm fighting jealousy and envy. And he's just, God is working on me. Why? Because I'm just like all of you. I got my own issues. But I specifically wanted to give you another sense, you know, the sense of smell and touch and see and hear that combats the concept of this means you must be like uber conservative. If that's what your family does and that's what your family agrees to, that's fine. Again, I don't have any spiritual authority over your home. But I think we need to really talk about finding a balance in our culture. Because if we're going to talk about how the adversary has perverted the culture, we have to then also understand that it is very easy for us to go just as far the other way with our pendulum. Jesus very rarely allowed that pendulum to swing in a kind of schizophrenic way, which is why he's the perfect example. We often adjust too much. If I... And playing top golf with my wife and my wife is beating me and I'm slicing. I normally go way the opposite way. And then it takes about five balls for me to actually get back to where something is decent. And by the end of the date, I am the greatest husband because I allowed my wife to win. <laughs> what the heart wants, it wants. Has anybody heard that phrase before? I've heard a lot. I was reading the book by John Mark Comer called No More Lies, third time through at this point in time. And interestingly enough, I never knew the source of that quote until I read that book. But I've heard that a lot. I've actually heard that in Messianic youth gatherings. I've heard that on television, I've heard it on the radio, I've heard it in conversations with other pastors in our local community. And I've definitely heard that from Hollywood and all the things that happened to it. How many of you, the teen classes today, so they won't look at me like I'm crazy. How many of you know an actor by the name of Woody Allen? How many of you know the story of Woody Allen? Woody Allen, really unique, interesting kind of bird, was married to a very pretty Hollywood actress. You would have thought that just on paper, they were good people. They were adopting kids from other countries. Messianics can get behind that. The problem with this is, is his marriage to his actress wife started to get a little rocky. And then all of a sudden, he starts to date his adopted daughter. Now, that's weird. I mean, come on. That's weird in any, any, any stretch of the imagination. But it's even weirder because she's 35 years younger than he is. And when he was interviewed, this wonderful sexually deviant role model who the culture says is an actor of all actors... It was he who said, what the heart wants, it wants. Now you would think the reporter would have lashed out. 
35 years younger than you. That's creepy. She was your daughter. Granted, not by blood, but she was your daughter. You and your wife adopted her and made her your daughter. That's even weirder. No. No. In fact, in a lot of ways, this broke down the barriers in Hollywood for them to be able to talk about even more perversion that continued to happen. And okay, look, it's Hollywood. We all seen the things about Disney with the secret things and whether they're true or not, I don't know. But guys, it's no longer relegated to Hollywood. Guys, it's no longer relegated to that state or that city. Perversion, financial perversion, psychological perversion, sexual, physical, emotional, mental abuse, they are running rampant everywhere. They're in the workplace, they're in homes, they're in marriages, and this is not just sexually deviant non-believers anymore. This is people who profess that Jesus is their Messiah. Now, we can go all the way back to John chapter 8 two weeks ago, and we can talk about the words of Messiah talking to the Jewish believers of Jesus, because that's how John chapter 8 prefaces before, our father is Abraham. No, your father is the devil. He is a liar. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Whoa, hold on. That's not what the heart wants, it wants. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That was prophet Jeremiah. That doesn't seem to line up with Mr. Woody Allen. Oh, wait, God has another one. You know, that apprentice named Mark. For... From within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts. Hmm, I'm not sure I like where this is going. Sexual immorality. We don't have that problem in our culture in America today, do we? Theft. I don't know anybody who's stealing anything. Murder. Okay. I didn't kill anybody. We're good. At least one of these things I haven't done. Oh, wait. Except for the fact that Jesus said, if you even think a negative thought about the person that you've killed them. Okay. So I'm also a murderer. Adultery. Babe, I have not cheated on you. I got one so far. Coveting. Definitely guilty of that. I coveted these pants. <laughs> Wickedness. Yeah, I've been wicked. Deceit. I'm sorry, I've lied. Sensuality. Yeah, before I was married. Mm-hmm. Envy. Still wrestle with that. Slander. Still wrestle with that. Pride. I'm just waiting for there to be a positive thing coming. It just keeps, Mark keeps just, he's like, hey, I mean, I hate to be Debbie Downer here, but there's still more. Struggle with pride, foolishness. Yeah, I'm I'm the chief of all fools. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Oh, wait, 
Wow. Okay. Out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Wait. Thoughts come from your brain. So how is out of the Bible? The Bible's got to be wrong, right? No, the Bible's not wrong. Out of your heart comes the thoughts of evil. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil evil things defile a person and come from within the heart. So when you turn on Fox News for my conservatives in the room and you see about another murder or a missing person in Chicago and you're like, that's not us. This is why we have to get out of the cities. This is why we can't have liberal mayors and all the things that, you, that you're going through in your mind. That's a heart problem. But yet, if you walked through the doors this morning and you saw this big gigantic cross, which doesn't look like the cross that he died on, but is a representation and a symbol of that, and you thought ill of your brother or your sister or somebody who you saw in this room, you're guilty of the same thing that you saw on Fox News, a heart problem. And ultimately, the heart problem that exists ends up creating a culture that the devil can run amok in for a limited time only. Because the devil is a created being with a beginning and an end. That is meant to combat God's culture and God's calling on your life. Why? Because God can be everywhere. We've talked before that this is one of the greatest things about God. Yes, don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing Jesus. I'm not minimizing Yeshua. I'm not minimizing the Son of God. The fact that God would take his spirit and he would put it in a human vessel. He would allow that human vessel to walk this earth as God. He would operate as God in the flesh. He would give that flesh over. Gave, wasn't taken. He would give that flesh flesh over so that the greater exodus of sin and death could happen at the cross so he could resurrect back into the spiritual form to sit at the right hand of the father that is revolutionary but he himself then says guess what not only did that happen and that was important that was revolutionary and you should always remember this you should always focus on me i am your salvation i am the living water but now i'm going to take that one spirit that i put in one body and i'm going to manifest it in as many bodies as you want Spirit of God cannot manifest itself inside your body, your flesh, as the temple of the book of Acts, as Ezekiel's temple, if you are defiled. Because the presence of God, the Spirit of God, cannot be in unclean, unholy spaces. Now, I'm not saying you lost your salvation. That's not the point here. The point is not that you've lost your salvation. The point isn't even to scare you. I don't want to scare you. I don't want you to have an if or. I don't want you to be treated like a child. There's a good way and there's a bad way. Honestly, I only think there's only one way. There's not a bad way. The bad way, it's not bad. It's disastrous. Bad is an understatement. It means eternal separation from your creator. 
There's nothing worse than that. You might as well go lop your arm off. Oh, wait, there's something in the Bible about that too. But guys, there, there is no longer a call to holiness in this culture. There is no longer a call for you to be set apart from the world. It says, what does it profit a man to gain the world before fit his soul? And yet everything that I have seen on television is all about how you gain something else. Men, if you no longer have desire towards your wife or you can't perform, they have a pill that can help you gain. If you are gaining weight because you can't control your eating habits, they have pills and surgeries to help you not have to take control over your flesh. The devil can't be everywhere like the Holy Spirit can manifest. So the devil had to get smart. Remember, the devil was not stupid. The devil was a divine council member. The devil was a perversion of what God had created him to be. You have the ability to also be a perversion of what God created you to be. But the devil cannot manifest himself unilaterally here. God's spirit can. So the devil had to create a system that could work in the places that he was not at. Why? Because most of you in this room, I know personally, and most of you, if a demon walked up to you and started showing itself, and by the way, I've seen some stuff, and it is like the exorcism stuff. It might be real. It may not be real. I do not know. That is not my office. But it wasn't right, and it wasn't God. I can tell you that. And when you see that stuff, most believers will turn and run. Or they'll combat it if they're skilled to combat it. They won't sit and be like, you know what? I like you. Let's go get some coffee. No. Just like most men I know who are married, if a woman came up and said, I want to sleep with you today, we'll be like, uh, no, no, you need to back up. My wife is going to slit your throat. Back up. Because it never starts like that. Why? Because just like our culture, if it slowly but surely evolves and devolves God's structure on this earth, we slowly but surely allow it to interject itself into our walk. It, guys, it's hard to be on guard 24-7. It's hard to, to understand that even when you're by yourself in your house and you're laying on your bed, you are at war with the culture and the temptations of this world. It's hard to believe that everything you're doing in your life, you must take captive of when it is not of God. It's hard to think that literally everything around you is meant to pull you from God. But welcome to 21 centuries later. Lukewarm Christianity is death. I'm not asking you to move to Waco, Texas with me. I am not asking you to live in the same house. I am not asking you to help me write my first book. But I am telling you, if you are riding the fence of your relationship with God and your practices, you are toying with death. 
because it's just a matter of time before the devil wins one. We can argue over the theologies and the doctrines and everything else. But is not the church, is not the place when we come together, whether it's in a small group, whether it's in one-on-ones, or whether it's in the corporate community, is it not the time to refresh and refill? To be empowered to go back out there and wage the war that is still waging while we're right here. Messiah was not confused about what was culturally appropriate and what was not. He was not confused. He did not allow himself to be succumbed to a culturally inappropriate opportunity for his flesh. In fact, John 15 states, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Again, I'm going to preface this. This doesn't give us a license to go out and stand on a street corner and scream that everybody is is evil and everybody sucks and everybody's dying and everybody's going to hell and repent you sinners and all the other things that have happened. It doesn't give you a license to go out and make somebody with self-fulfilling prophecy hate you. Guess what? If you do what's right by God, they will automatically hate you. I know that all too well. If the world hates you, remember that they hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. That's, that's what we talked about before. Obviously, you're part of the world. You're sitting here. Obviously, gravity is still holding you down, at least until somebody breaks the firmament. You are here. You are here. So obviously, you're in the world. So this doesn't talk about the physical structure of the world. It's talking about the culture of the world that exists inside the global sphere. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would have listened to you. They will do all this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. That means that the reason why they will come after you is because of Jesus. Because they've rejected Jesus' father. And because you have not rejected Jesus and you have not rejected Jesus' father, by default, they hate you. You don't have to go stand on the street corner and say, you all suck, you're going to hell. They will hate you because you believe Jesus is the Messiah and you believe that Adonai, Yahweh, Yahuwah, whatever name, Elohim is the father of Jesus. Says they will hate you for that because of me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. Jesus came, he spoke to them, he told them, he showed them, and because he showed them, they're guilty. That means we're guilty. Because he showed them and they are showing us, and the words live and the power moves. If we reject Jesus, we're guilty. 
But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without a cause. But I will send you and 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 all y'alls. I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. Not the spirit of this culture, not the prince of this world, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father. He's being sent by Jesus through the way of the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. The world and the culture should be opposed to you. It should ruffle their feathers. Your presence when they are operating in a way that is anti the kingdom of God should ruffle ruffle their feathers. When you're sitting with your friends and they're doing something that's inappropriate, your presence alone should ruffle their feathers when they continue on. Because you should be seen and the spirit that pours from you should be the anti-culture of what currently is the beast system around us. Keep watching for that mark and that chip in your hand. Keep watching for all these revelation signs and these end of the world things. Guess what? You will miss the entire system and it will be too late. It's not coming in one day. It is slowly but surely coming. The United States of America is morally corrupt. It's ethically corrupt. It is creating an antichrist system in our culture. And we are at war spiritually just in this country alone. I'm not worried about the other countries. I don't care what Russia is doing. I don't care what China's doing. Guess what? Every president has been in bed with some other president or leader from some other country at some point in time. Some got killed for it. Some got killed for trying to expose it. All I care about right now is the fact that the system and the culture that's taking place in front of us is going to kill Republicans, Democrats, independents, whites, blacks, males, females, Because the system is meant to seek and destroy, that's it. It is not partisan. It is not biased. It wants to destroy all of us because the devil's time is numbered. He knows it, and he wants every person he can to go with him. John 17, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and come to know the truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am, not, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus was praying for the use of that time, not for the world. 
but for the ones that were called by his name, the ones he was given. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, he is petitioning his father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you in these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy filled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world so that I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. John warns us of three lusts of this world. The lust of the eyes, what you see and look upon. The lust of the flesh, the sexual desires of this world, the sensualities. Three, the pride of life, the rebellion against God's call for not only our culture, your flesh, but everyone else. These are the same three temptations that Messiah was tempted with by his adversary in the wilderness. Adam and Eve were tempted with these same temptations, and yet today we wrestle with the same temptations. There's a war to to expose you to this culture, to get you to eliminate God's move in your life and to come into cooperation with the adversary system. He wants the death of your marriage. He wants the death of your friendships. He wants the death of your working relationships. But most importantly, he wants the death of you personally. There are four things as believers that we must do to combat the practices of the adversary, the culture of this world and our flesh. One, you must walk in a community with like-minded people. I don't care if that's on Saturday. I don't care if that's on Sunday. I don't care if that's on Wednesday. I don't care what day that is. Find like-minded people and walk in community with them. That does not mean... You're getting a house together or you're splitting up 10 acres. This means that you walk in life with these people. Two, you must be committed to confession and holiness with those people. If you live a life with other people, but you do not walk in confession and you do not walk in holiness with them, they will bring you down and you will follow. Or vice versa, you will bring them down and they will follow. You must be willing, three, to walk in repentance in those areas. Every person needs to be able to walk in repentance, whether it's repentance in your home, whether it's repentance in your community, your small groups, your church, your corporate. There's individual, regional, and corporate Israel. 
All of them come together. The Hebrews come together. The believers of God come together. You cannot walk in God without repentance. Without repentance, you are your own God. Four, you must be in a community that values the order of God. Heard a lot of times people, people want to have communities, they want to have churches, they want to have groups, whatever, and they don't want order. We're just going to show up and whatever happens, happens. This week we're just going to do whatever. That's chaos. God works in order. If there is chaos, God is not the author of that. That is the devil. That is the system of the devil. God is order. Even the Holy Spirit manifests itself in an orderly way which I know seems weird and ironic, and we'll go into that a whole other time and a whole other place. The Holy Spirit is not schizophrenic. It is orderly, because God, the Father, is orderly. You were created with the power to overcome the devil, the power to overcome your flesh, and power to overcome the culture of this world. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even in our faith. 1 John 5, 4. The choice is simple as Daniel comes to close out with a blessing. Choice is simple. Either God is who he says he is, and he is your God. And by him being your God, you walk in a way, in a manner that is upright and brings glory and honor to him. Or God is not your God. And you are your God. And if you are your God, then the choice is simple. You glorify yourself and the desires of your flesh and the desires that the world tells you you should have over the belief that God has properly given you everything that you need. Let's not complicate it any more than that. Either you're your own God or God is your God. Plain and simple. Shabbat shalom.